Well, welcome back to the Leaders and Mentors podcast today, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we have kind of a unique setup today uh, in the podcast in that we have two guests on the show today, frankly, that I honestly wanted to get on the program individually, so I, I have these two gentlemen on at the same time, and uh, these two gentlemen I've known for a number of years and each have you know, their own very unique stories in the world of coaching and education uh, in business, and uh, that would be uh, Mr. Pete Beck from Hillsdale, and uh, my second guest, Chris Adams, uh, also from Hillsdale. Guys, welcome to the program. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. So, my first question is, uh, what's going on down there in South Carolina? I, I, Pete, if I'm not mistaken, your family has a business down there. What's going on? Why are you both down there? Well, uh, my wife and I moved down here after she retired in 2013. We always had a place, a vacation place down here since the early 90s, uh, knowing that we would retire here someday, which mm-hmm. we did in 13. And, uh, you know, we were down here for a couple of years and the uh, opportunity came up, so we uh, started a liquor store. Sure. And you might say that the kids drove me to drink, but uh, <laughs> I think I think, uh, you know, I think that happened a long time ago. Educate me in the audience here, and of course, people in Hillsdale would probably know this better than I do. Where does your how where does your guys' friendship originate? How did you uh, come to know each other and, and and become friends early on? Probably right. Right, I was just a principal uh, after ten years of teaching in the classroom. Um, at the middle school, mm-hmm. uh, the, the assistant principal job came open at the high school, and um, I felt it was time for me to make a difference at a larger level. So I applied, got the job, and Chris was a junior at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, one of the guy, the guy that was the principal then, was a guy from outside of town named Doug Dodge. Yep. Great individual, great leader, great mentor. Taught me a lot about administration. And uh, one day he comes to me, and he says, hey, he said, Adams isn't here, he's skipping. And it's in February, and it's one of those 75-degree February days. I said, I know where it is. He said, where? At the golf course. So he said, let's go. So we hop in his truck, and we're driving down the road toward Ball Beast Country Club. Sure enough, there's a couple guys standing on, on the uh, sixth tee or whatever number it was pull up the side of the road and he's in the middle of his back swing and I said, Mr. Adams? <laughs> Before he hit the boy and looks back, he goes, yes. Said, You're skipping, get in the car. He says, can I finish the hole? <laughs> I said, nope. So his, uh, his folks were, were working out of town at the time, so he was kind of on his own, he and his sister. Mm-hmm. Rather than send him home for three days for cutting classes, we kept him in that school for three days. Yeah, nice. He hated it. <laughs> oh. the, wor- the worst part of that, Tim, was the uh, supervisor for in-school suspension was my next-door neighbor. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it cut on a couple different levels. You know what? I wasn't going to ask that question, you guys, but I had a feeling there was a story there, and that's exactly why I asked it, and you did, did not let me down. I had no inclination about that story. So, all right, Pete. Yeah. Let, hey, yeah. There's one other one. Go ahead. One other one. Go. The senior, year, the senior year, he's a typical 
Bill Cocky Sr., you know, uh, popular kid, good athlete. So, so we have a big assembly uh, on, you know, a drunk driving assembly. Uh, you know, the whole student body's in the gym, and we got this big old redneck Mississippi State trooper who's doing the talking. You know. Pete Collins, I can still remember his name. Trooper Collins. He was a big old, he was a big old guy. So he said to me, before I started, he goes, hey, he goes, who's a good kid I can make an example out of? They won't complain. I said, he'll be sitting in the front row, right dead center, Chris Adams, just call him out. So he goes out there and he said, you know, he's giving the lesson on choices. And he said, he said, Chris, he said, I'm going to give you a choice. He takes his handcuffs out, wraps them around Adams' thumb. I'm going to squeeze these handcuffs or you can kiss me on the lips. And Chris said, no way. So he squeezed the handcuffs. And, you know, it's putting the hurt to him. He says, go ahead. I'll let go as soon as you kiss me right here on the lips. He wouldn't do it. Squeezing harder. He said, go ahead. Kiss me right here on the lips. He wouldn't do it. Squeezing harder. So eventually, Chris is on his knees. Never seen it. Student body is just rolling over laughing. Oh. And finally the guy, when he draws blood, the guy gets up and he said, that's one of the best ones I've ever had to use. You know? <laughs> but he never did kiss him on the lips. Oh, he gave my, him a hug and we called him good. My cheeks are hurting already from smiling. Yeah. Oh. loved it. Oh, no. Good Lord. Uh, all right, Pete. <laughs> Boy, it's going to be a tough act to follow here. Pete, let's get right at it. I got some pretty straightforward questions here. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about, you know, we got an idea of what you're doing now, but talk to me about, we got into a little bit here, um, good segue. What are what are some of the roles you held in in, uh, in education over the last 35, 40 years? Well, I was uh, in the classroom, uh, yep. mostly the gym for 14 years. Okay. And- not only the not only the uh, middle school level, but the elementary level. Yep. Did a little bit of health work at the high school, but not much. Okay. And then was administrator for two years, assistant principal, and then principal for ten years. Mm-hmm. And then 1999, my father passed away. Right. And, uh, he had never had an opportunity to retire much, mm-hmm. so I, you know, I just said, "Shoot, I'm not going to be married to a job anymore." Yep. Uh, I'm going to get out of administration and. Uh, wrote up a uh, money-saving plan for the district yep. and offer they couldn't refuse. And I went to the elementary PE for four years. Oh, okay. It was a great gig, elementary PE, you know? Yeah. Here's the difference between elementary and high school. As an administrator or teacher, when, when you tick off a kid, mm-hmm. the high school level, they hate you forever. Mm-hmm. At the other they forget about it in five minutes. The next thing you know, they're telling you they love you and hugging you. Yep. So elementary is pretty cool. Yep. I had never worked there, so uh, that was a good gig. And then Hillsdale was shrinking in size, doing a lot of industry moving, you know, across the borders and stuff. So right. uh, it came to a point where the AD and the assistant principal both left for other districts. So they were going to combine the position. Mm-hmm. So the board president and the superintendent come to the gym at the elementary school and say uh, hey we need you to uh, make a, another career change okay I said we talk about we want 
principal and AD position. We want somebody with some experience to do it because we've never done that here before. And we think you're the guy. Mm. I said, get the heck out of my gym. I said, mm-hmm. I've had a phone call for years. Mm-hmm. Said, get out of here. Mm-hmm. Kept coming back. You know, every couple of days they'd come back. They'd hit me up again. Yep. Hit me up again. I kept telling them, no, no. Finally, I said, look, fellas. I said, you know, everything I've done in education, I've really enjoyed and I love. But you're asking me to do a mm-hmm. job that's <clears throat> so much more difficult, so much different than this one. Yeah. I said, let's get prepared to beer. I said, I like all kinds of beer. Yep. I said, and this job here is a Heineken. Yep. This is one of the best beers you can buy. Mm-hmm. I said, that job you're asking me to do, mm-hmm. it's a blue ribbon. Yep. I said, it might be even a red, white, and blue. I said, get out of here. Okay. So about two days later, I go home from work, and there's this package on the front steps of my house. I thought, oh, that's weird. Open it up. It's a 12-pack of Heineken. (laughs) With a note on it. Enjoy. Make the change. (laughs) So I I put it in the garage for a couple days, walked by it for a few days, and finally I said, oh, what the heck. I ripped it open, started drinking it, and called the guy and said, all right. <laughs> so that got back into administration then, and I, was, I did that the last eight years. Ah, so you spent eight years in that position. Okay. Yeah. Then uh, you finally retired, correct? Yep, and then I retired in 2010. Okay. All right. What what uh, have you been doing since then? Just enjoying retirement? Do you, are you doing anything else? Well, I had to wait for my wife to retire before we could move. And right. She wasn't quite ready. Right. So uh, I filled some of my time working for Qualite Industries. Okay. A couple of years with the uh, outdoor sport lighting. Yep. Sales rep in Michigan, and a couple of years with uh, their turf division. Ah. Uh, that the, that was struggling and. It didn't really come come around very sure. much. Uh, they they disbanded the turf division, but they still have the light division. Right. That was a lot of fun. Met a lot of people. Did a lot of neat things. Nice, Pete. What was it like? Uh, you know, I knew of your father. Uh, I remember remember your mother. Of course, I know you and your brothers. And back even high school days when you were coaching and they were athletes. But what was it like growing up in the Beck household? Was it pretty competitive? Oh yeah, those guys were. They fought all the, the three little brothers fought all the time. See, there were two generations of kids. Right. My sister, my brother, and myself. Right. And and we came all two years apart. Mm-hmm. Or I, I should say that, one year apart. Okay. And then, then there was a 10-year gap. Mm-hmm. And then there were three more all two years apart. Okay. Uh, Franklin and David. Right. And uh, when I got the job in Hillsdale, mm-hmm. I was... I was uh, at Eastern Michigan University mm-hmm. when my family moved to Hillsdale and opened up the dealership. Sure. And uh, so when the job came open after I retired, after I graduated, right? Uh, you know, it wasn't like I was going home because I'd never lived in Hillsdale. Ah, uh, got it. So it was kind of neat go to a different city, get a job teaching and coaching and what you want to do. Sure. And being by the family. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that was that was kind of neat. Had I grown up there, I may never have wanted to do that. But you know, I didn't. I had never lived there, so that was a, that was a, what I thought was a kind of a unique experience. And uh, coaching my brothers was a lot of fun. Yep. They were really good. Yep. Uh, didn't have a whole lot to do with me, but um, 
except maybe the expectation part. Yeah. Because yeah. I expected them to be perfect, and they fought back a lot. Yeah. We had a lot. We had a lot of knockdown dragouts, especially the middle one. Franklin was just a bullhead. <laughs> <laughs> he was just so stubborn, and I'd beat him on the mat. Oh my! And he would never give in. He just let me beat yep. on him. So, and then he, but then he'd go home, cry to mom, and next thing you know, my mom's calling. What the heck's wrong with you? You are some kind of a jerk. You know, she'd be ripping me apart because Franklin went home and started crying. So, we'll get into wrestling in a second here. What Did your parents encourage you guys to do other sports? And were you involved heavily in any other sports? Uh, well, you know, we were so small growing mm-hmm. up. And that's why I got into wrestling. Yep. I tried to go off for football at Livonia Bentley a couple of times. And the coaches, they, they knew me because they were PE teachers. Yep. I hung out. I was a gym rat. And they'd say, Beck, get out of here. I said, Coach, I want to play football. We got water boys. We don't need any more water boys. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. But, uh, they would never let me play because, you know, big school like that, you had, you had to be big. And I was 100 pounds. Right. Uh, right. Yeah, they, they wouldn't let me play. And then baseball, I really enjoyed. But... I couldn't hit the ball, so mm-hmm. but to, you know the, the sophomore level, mm-hmm. I wasn't up to play. So let, let's get into let's get into the wrestling, if you don't mind. So who who was the guiding influence there in getting you guys? in? I mean, who, how did that story originate? Were you just by involvement in it, and then your younger brothers got involved in it as well? Was there was it your father? Yeah, well, how did that happen? My brother was a year older than me, Stephen. Yep. Uh, he was. He went out for wrestling, you know, before I did at the high school level, being a year older. Yeah. And the two of us would go up to Schoolcraft College uh, and work out yep. with all sorts of area high school kids. Sure. So you got no other high school kids, and that was kind of like the gathering spot for local high schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, College had a nice wrestling room, nice program, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, people would go up there who were, who were wrestling freestyle at the time. Right. Or training for the high school seasons. And uh, there was an old guy named Bill Riddle that used to go up there and work out. Okay. He was a tiler. You know, so he's always working oh, with yeah. the and, and he was just a tough old bird. And he'd come in there and his hands were like, you know, mm-hmm. like sandpaper. Mm-hmm. And he had that tiger dust on his hair. And mm-hmm. he just tore up stuff for being an old man. Mm-hmm. One day he said to us, he said, hey, you got any other backs in your family? And my brother said, yeah, we got three little brothers. He said, how old are they? And at that time, they were like, you know, sure. eight, six, and four. Right. And uh, he said, well, there's a great club in Hazel Park, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And he goes, my kids are involved in it. We go over there every Tuesday and Thursday. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, I'll pick you and your brother up, just the older one for now. So, Robert, I had to work that night. Mm-hmm. Robert Stephen went with Bill Riddle to this club called United Oaks. Okay. Big wrestling club in Hazel Park, which was a hotbed of wrestling at the time. And uh, then the next time he said, Robert said, Robert came home and said, they want the other guys to come too. So my dad went and took all three of them. Right. And, uh, you know, they were they were competing with these guys, been wrestling all their life and tearing them up. And, and uh, next thing you know, uh, they got my dad and the three boys hooked into it and uh, yeah my my dad would run tournaments for him mm-hmm. and my mom would pair mm-hmm. you know she would work in the pairing room mm-hmm. 
you got certified through USA Wrestling to become a master pair. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one year it was when uh, the Olympics were in Montreal in 76. Uh, yep. They asked her if she wanted to go to the Olympics and pair there. Oh, wow. She said, I want to go to Montreal. I'm not going up there. So she, you know, she said, no, I have no interest in that, you know. Yeah. But, uh, she had an opportunity to pair the Olympics. It would have been huge. But, oh. yeah, she very nice. So yeah, that wasn't that wasn't for her. So the whole family was involved in it. Talk a little bit about your dad and the family business. Now, your dad, from everything I can remember, being a high school athlete, and correct me if I'm wrong, was pretty quiet and reserved. Uh, yep. At least at the wrestling matches uh, that I noticed, and I still remember that. Whether it be at Lakeview or wherever we were, Harper Creek, wherever we were at for tournaments, I would watch and. You know, it always he always came across to me as a you know pretty reserved kind of guy. Was that usually the case? Did he? You know, tell me. The bottom line is, what kind of influence was he on you, Pete? Well, he was a great role model, and he wasn't an athlete growing up. Okay. Uh, he uh, was a cheerleader in high school. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the day, like a lot of guys, cheerleaders. He was a cheerleader. Sure. And uh, that's he ever got to athletics. Okay. And. Uh, and then he went to Michigan State for three years because he was li- he lived in Buffalo, New York at the time. All right. But he and his sister both went to Michigan State, and then he ended up getting his degree from, I think, some college in Buffalo. But he went to state for three years. And, All right. And, uh, you know, he followed their sports programs, football and basketball and stuff. But he was a sports enthusiast, but he wasn't an athlete. Okay. So he never pushed us a whole lot, but he was so supportive mm-hmm. and. You know, and he was there for you all the time. Sure. If you need something, he'd, he'd help you out with it. But then when the little guys got involved in wrestling, he really got into it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. He didn't do any coaching or anything like that. He was just a proud dad. Yep. And supportive. And you're right, he was really reserved and quiet. Yeah. He didn't, you know, he never would, uh, you know, comment uh, one way or another about how you did. He just always had his arm around you and said, no matter what, you always did okay. Was that really the demeanor he held also in business as well? Was he more, was he just a thinker, kind of reserved, and, uh, or yep. did he, or was he very fiery and passionate behind the scenes, even in business? What, what was his, what, he always kept so his he cool? Was, uh, he was a calm guy, you know, I remember, the, you know, he was 48 years old, and GM is telling him, because he worked for Chevrolet Motor Division in Detroit. Right. And, you know, the top execs are telling them, Frank, you're, you're the wrong age, sex, and color to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. You're going to get forced into an early retirement, early 50s. And uh, so if you want to do something different, now's the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he said, hey, all I know is uh, the car business. So he put together a business plan to buy a dealership somewhere. Okay. And lo and behold, he ends up in Hillsdale. And uh, that was at about age 50. Wow. So okay. So he took over in uh, 76 and, and, uh, and Hillsdale is the owner. Okay. But uh, I was going to school at Eastern at the time, and I remember one time coming home, because he made a few changes, nothing drastic at first, but he did some something different as far as billing in the service department. And the mechanics thought they were going to get ripped off. Mm-hmm. So this was the, old, the old senior mechanic out there who had been there forever and ever, I remember I just happened to be there, came into his office and said, Mr. Beck, he said, uh, guys are really upset about the changes. Mm-hmm. He said, that's okay, Leo. They'll get used to it. Mm-hmm. 
said, no, he said, uh, they're going to walk if, if you don't make any changes. He said, that's okay, they can walk. And then tomorrow morning, we'll have a new crew in there. Mm-hmm. Got on your way. Well, you know, that, that didn't sit well with the mechanics. They didn't want to walk. They didn't want to lose their job. Uh, they were just, I think, seeing how far they could push the new guy. And right. He didn't, uh, he just said, yeah, that's okay, go ahead. Right. But he didn't get mad or scream and yell at him or anything. Just calm and peaceful. Mm-hmm. Kind of the opposite of me. Uh, maybe a bit. <laughs> So let's let's go back to wrestling just for a moment. Here. I don't want to dwell on this too much, but you had you had the opportunity, of course, to coach. Uh, I believe uh, your three younger brothers, of course, David and Franklin, you, Robert as well. Correct. Yep. Yep. Was there any uh, big brother, little brother, butting of heads? Any squabbles? Oh, yeah. Any wrestle offs over on the side mat where you basically uh, let them know who was running the show? Oh yeah, they. Uh... <laughs> Especially the two older ones. Okay. Uh, by the time we got to David, there was enough distance between us fourteen years. So, so you know, when David was growing up, you know, I didn't really play with him, you know, because fourteen years different. Sure. But, you know, Robert, uh, you know, we used to think around together once in a while and stuff. So we were we were closer buddies, and uh, so he was. There are a lot of times he wouldn't listen. He had his own way of doing things, and that's the way he did it. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. Same with Franklin. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, but but with each one, it created more distance, and yep. there was more listening going on. Sure. And David was a pretty good listener. I he, just he was, little, he was a little calmer. He was more like my dad, and uh, Franklin was more like my mom. So uh, yeah, I just it was a lot of fun, and they were good. And, you know, they were a big part of the program because their sure. friends would get involved in wrestling who were good athletes. And, you bet. You know, have good athletes, you're going to have good success. And, yep. you know, they were, they were a big part of the success Hillsdale had. I will I will say, and that's, that's a great segue because, you know, one thing I always noticed, first of all, I still remember you, the relationship that you and your assistant always had. You guys always were on the same page. And, and refresh my memory, what was his name, the gentleman? Richard. Richard. Yep. Yep. Yes. And then, yep. Good. yep. And you could just tell you guys were on the same page, and you know you whether oh, you know you had a you had a I don't man the only term that comes to mind kind of Pete is a motley crew there you know between Clevenger and Veer and Draper and Rogers and everybody else I mean you had quite the crew there I mean it, it had to be a little bit of a challenge to keep those guys under wraps wasn't it? Oh yeah, those guys. You know, I inherited a team that was just a bunch of. You know, when I got there, wrestling is a dumping ground for every bad kid in the school. The, you know, counselors and the principal say, "Just go out for wrestling; they'll be fine." But I got all these banditos, you know, and Richard was one of them. And uh, you know, they were tough kids, but they needed no discipline, no technique, no skills. Uh, all they were was just tough scrappers. Yes, they were. So we yep. kind of molded them a little bit, and then. Robert got involved his freshman year, and, yep. and uh, you know, and more and more kids came out than Franklin, and so things were going well. Yep. But I think the best best thing that ever happened was uh, in 1988, 87-88, yep. all the Becks were graduated, <laughs> and no Becks on the team, and everybody said, well, the Becks are gone, you guys are going to stink. Well, we won the league that year, yeah. and that, that, was a, that was a big feather in the kids' caps that were on the team. Yeah. Nice. I remember, I remember a guy named Lance Murphy. He was our 85-pounder. 
and, and uh, I put a lot of pressure on Lance to be the team leader. You know, with no backs, somebody had to step up. Yeah. So I put a lot of pressure on him, and, and uh, mathematically, we had already had the, the conference won before his finals match, but I really wanted him to win win the to win the conference. Mm-hmm. So I was just telling him, he didn't know, I was just telling him, Lance, I said, if you win this match, we win the conference. Right. And, uh, which I wasn't lying to him, but if he lost, we still won. But I had him so fired up and so ready, he was crying before he went on the map. <laughs> and oh. he did a great job, dominated the kid from Lakeview, and uh, yep. uh, yep. we got the job done. But yeah, he was all fired up. P, what would you, how would you uh, describe, you know, whether it be honestly teaching elementary phys ed or whether it be coaching that group of young men on the wrestling mat, how would you develop, how would you describe your leadership style? Did you, uh, how, did you let them kind of, um, you know, make the decisions themselves or, and, and learn by mistakes or, and then also who are some of your, you know, dominating mentors in the way you developed your coaching and teaching style? Well, you know, I had a couple math teachers in high school that, that uh, were great guys and, they always emphasize that if you're not having fun with math, you're not going to be any good at it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, their whole philosophy was, you know, learn by having fun, and it really, it really um, made an impact on me. And I really liked math because of it. And I mm-hmm. went to school to be a math teacher. Mm-hmm. But then the calculus, you know, vain. Mm-hmm. It was, but I didn't quite understand why theory was more important than answers mm-hmm. and so I got out of the math the, the, the math uh, curriculum got into PE okay. and that, that's how I ended up change, making that change but those guys those math teachers I had were great guys and great teachers and I learned a lot from them and so I always emphasize if you're not having fun you're doing something wrong mm-hmm. but in time you're going to learn a lot and you're going to develop some discipline and so you know, we had a lot of fun. Uh, I screamed and yelled a lot, but I also gave them a lot of love too. Yep. So yep. as long as you know, as long as they know you care, they can take it. I remember those high pitched Pete Beck screams in the gym. That would I mean everybody at Western or wherever we were at would rock the gym. That's for sure. So, do you miss it? Do you miss teaching and coaching? And probably not the administration end of it. Maybe you do, but the teaching and coaching. Do you miss it a little bit, Pete? Yeah, yeah, I stayed involved with an administrator for a while with USA Wrestling. Yeah. And uh, eventually I, you know, just was too busy as principal and, and uh, couldn't do it as much. Mm-hmm. I got back into it again when I went to the elementary PE, and that was a lot of fun. Yep. Because uh, my son, Zachary, was involved in the summertime. Yeah. And so, you know, I'd go on trips with him and, and with USA Wrestling to uh, national duels and sure. the national Fargo and stuff, yep. but yeah, it was, a lot, it was a lot of fun, uh, built a lot of good relationships, and uh, really enjoyed it. You know, I coached baseball for a while, too, and I really liked baseball. Okay. And I wasn't it, but I liked coaching it. Sure. Uh, that was a lot of fun, because I always told the kids right from the get-go, I said, most you guys know more about baseball than I do, but we're going to have a lot of fun, we're going to learn as much as we can. So, what's Pete back up to nowadays? Are you permanent resident down there? Yes. Yes, uh, I get involved in a lot of things down here. Keeps me busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a local elementary school on the island. Mm-hmm. I'm active in that. Uh, 
school improvement committees, and mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years ago they threatened to uh, shut the shut the school down. So I was a big part of the committees that uh, helped save the school with the school board in downtown Charleston. Right. And yeah, we we uh, we conquered the school board pretty well. That was a lot of fun. Very nice. And, yeah. Now that now they leave us alone. <laughs> but uh, it is a low country island school and it's very well very much needed here yeah and they were just pulled the plug because finances you know they didn't mm-hmm. they, most of those people had never been here and, and we stormed central office and that's nice had lots with the with the superintendent and their staff and and we ended up uh convincing them that that was the wrong decision to make even though it might be financially cumbersome it sure. was the wrong so they made it work and Sure. We're happy, now, but I stay involved in school. Yep. And I'm involved for commerce, a couple committees at the town. Uh, they have a very active Lions Club here. I'm involved in that. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, as busy as you want to be, right? Oh yeah, you can be, be busy 24 seven if you want down here. I can imagine. Now, where where exactly is that? Can I ask? Are you in Myrtle Beach area, or where are you at? No, we're in the southern part of the state, on okay. the coast south of Charleston. Ah. Uh, Right, right at the northern part of the, what they call the Ace Basin. Okay. Which is the second largest estuary on the East Coast, only to Chesapeake Bay. But mm-hmm. there's very little development on the Ace Basin. Mm-hmm. And uh, beautiful. The waterways are what make it down here. You can get in a boat and drive on these waterways for days and never see the same ground twice. Oh, nice. Or, or any development. It's, uh, it's beautiful. Awesome. Pete, I appreciate your time. Um it's been nice, you know, connecting. This is frankly the, you know, the t- the last time or the first time we've talked in quite a few years. I appreciate your time. Um, thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be in touch. But you know, one, um, more, one more thing, you know, it's funny you call because we've got a pretty good Albion connection down here. And who's that? Well, uh, in Augusta, who comes over here quite a bit is Mike Boomer Chapman. Oh. <laughs> so, so comes down here and helps work some events that we have and stuff. Yep. Uh, there's, there's a couple of big events with the uh, Open Land Trust, which you know conserves a lot of the land around here. Yep. And protects it. And when when we have big events, my son Zachary will call Boomer and say, "Boomer, come on over and help us then buy or something." And uh, so Boomer likes it over here. And then one time we're working, and this guy comes up to him and says, "says." Uh, <laughs> He had a Lions hat on. He goes, oh, you're a Lions fan. I goes, yep. He goes, what do you do? He goes, I'm a Spartan fan. <laughs> so they get talking. He finds out his name is Jim Dobbins. Oh, yeah. And then here's Boomer. Dobbins, Dobbins. Uh, yep. I knew a Dobbins once. He was my doctor. He goes, yep. yes, that's my dad. Yep, exactly. So Dr. Dobbins' son lives down here, and he's in the Lions Club with us. We see him all the time. He's a great guy. He and his wife. I had no idea. I know both oh. of them, and... Uh, Thanks for sharing. So, the um, now it, it, and the kind of a side note there. Of course, uh, Boomer is down there. Uh, I think Bart, his brother, worked for the dealership, right? No, no. Uh, Boomer did. Boomer, Boomer did. Who did? Boomer worked for the dealership, correct? Yeah, Boomer worked at the dealership. Yep, and then and then he got out of that. Yeah, oh shoot, I don't know when. Uh, maybe yep. 2005 or yep. 6. Okay. He went down, he came down, went down to Florida yep. with an old buddy of his and and uh, then I think he went to Central with. Okay. Then he got him into the logistics operation of the company and 
So he runs a logistics uh, nice. office for uh, Landstar Trucking. But, wow. Uh, yeah, and so he's got a flexible schedule, and he comes over once in a while. You know, another thing is we've seen Ronnie Parker play the guitar twice down here. Well, I was going to mention Ronnie, of course, you know, back in the day, like came on late as my coach, and uh, I know you knew him, and, and uh, yeah, he's he's totally enjoying life, playing guitar, playing the blues, and loves it. Yeah, he, he played, too. He said, he said he had got to, you know, he's getting too old to make those long road trips, so he didn't know if he was going to come back to Charleston, but the group he played with, comes down to Charleston quite a bit, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, uh, Zachary got his uh, contact info, so he told him, because Zachary was buddies with the son. Yep. And uh, uh, yep. so he said, uh, he said, I'll get a hold of you if I come down here and play again, so we can all go see him. I'll have to share this with Coach, because he will definitely enjoy this. So, appreciate the mention. No problem, no problem. His son's doing pretty well, too. Oh, he is. You bet. Yeah, Actually, yeah, just... Said, just last night, I saw he's doing a lot of things with Comedy Central and otherwise. Yep, he, yep he's doing good stuff. Yep. Kellen, you bet. Yep, yep, doing great. Uh, great talking to you. Pete, thank you. I'll be in touch. Thanks much. Sure thing. Here's Chris. Yep. The second half of the dynamic duo. Chris, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Tim. Much for- appreciated. For sure. Let's talk about, uh, if you could, just a little mention about uh, 30-second recap, uh, what current role you have held and currently hold in, in education. Well, I've been a, I started out as a counselor teacher at Star Commonwealth and then moved into, uh, I replaced a guy named Tim Rumler at uh, Northwest Alternative when he got moved to a different building within the district. Yep. At the end of that year, Tim Rumler came back to the building, and I was displaced. I found my, 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 my way back home. Uh, Hillsdale had an opening for a lead teacher at their alternative program, which really was a hybrid mm-hmm. position, and, and really was my first introduction into administration. Right. And then from there, I went to Wayne Westland for a while, and uh, the commute there was a hundred miles each way. Yeah. And with with younger kids, that just mm-hmm. got to be too much. And uh, it was funny because an old high school mate of mine um, was pretty tight with the superintendent and Napoleon. And mm-hmm. I get a phone call out of the actually a FaceTime message out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Hey, would you be interested in uh, maybe running the alternative program in Napoleon? I'm thinking, gee, 38 miles compared to 100 miles. Yeah, yeah I think you'd be interested. So <laughs> I, I went to Napoleon uh, probably 2012. Okay. Was first year there and I ran the alternative program for two and a half years and then middle of the year our middle school principal who I guess the day I got hired our uh, well or with the week I got hired our middle school principal resigned to take a position with the Lenaway County ISD okay and so in, in a cost-saving move we eliminated two administrators at the elementary school and the elementary principal became the middle school principal all right and then two and a half years later, um, there were some health issues in, in the family, and mm-hmm. she'd been there for 33 years, mm-hmm. and so she decided to retire in the middle of the year. And Jim had approached me in October, he said, would you be interested in, in being the middle school principal? And I said, well, you know, I've got a little bit of experience with middle school kids, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'd welcome the challenge, because mm-hmm. middle school kids are a lot like alternative kids in the fact that they're impulsive and rambunctious mm-hmm. and don't think things through mm-hmm. before the act. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only difference is age. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, he uh, he offered me the position. I 
2015 and I've been there ever since. Very nice. Very nice. Um, what was uh, in Hillsdale, what was young Chris Adams like? Now, I got a glimpse of it earlier from, from Pete, but what sports, of course, anybody knows you, Chris, you're associated with baseball when you hear your name, uh, among other things, but mainly baseball. But what other sports did you um, play growing up in Hillsdale? Uh, what was young Chris Adams like? If you were to look back on him now, were you a good student? What did your parents do for a living? Kind of throwing it all at you at once. Well, we uh, we moved to Hillsdale in 1978, which coincidentally was the same year I think that Peter started teaching in Hillsdale. Okay, correct. Yep. Yep. So uh, I moved there as a, uh, a first grader, mm-hmm. getting started at Mock Elementary. So as as a young child, we lived we lived four blocks away from Mock, which was one block away from Hillsdale College. So I think geography mm-hmm. really played an important role in my childhood. Okay. Because we were neighborhood hellions that would just tear that college field house apart. <laughs> we were up there all the time. It was kind of like our own personal playground, and we yeah. had an indoor playground because of the. They had the uh, arena, right. and then they had the uh, rubber all-purpose uh-huh. gymnasium that that we just kind of ran wild and sure. played basketball. We played hide and seek. We lifted weights. We, we had the run of the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll never forget. We had there was an old janitor there named Gene Hepker, and he was chasing us out of that place constantly mm-hmm. so we spent a lot of time there um, I grew up in a neighborhood kind of on uh, the north side of town there were some railroad tracks that split town in half and, and we always kind of were associated with the, the north side slums Okay. there was a couple streets kind of near where I lived about a block and a half away that were kind of run down some of the more run down streets in town so we kind of got the moniker as north siders which really meant that you were tough because you had to survive. So a lot of those hoodlums that PD had wrestling for them were Northsiders. Okay. They weren't really refined, but they really didn't have anything else, so they gravitated towards somebody who would show them attention that was positive. All right. And so a lot of those guys grew up in my neighborhood. And I can tell you, the first day of school, I'm walking home, and I, I got beat up by about five of those hoodlums. <laughs> and... It's funny now because you look back and a couple of them are some of my best friends. They were my best friends through school. A couple of them are business owners right there in town. Uh, It's just amazing how from early beginnings that we can change and become people that we never thought we could be. Sure. So growing up, we we played anything and everything. Whatever season it was, we played it. If Mm -hmm. it was fall, Mm -hmm. we played football. If it was winter, we snuck into the field house and played basketball. If it was... Well, anytime from the time the snow melted until the snow fell, we were playing baseball or wiffle ball. Sure. And the street that I lived on had a vacant lot right across the, the street that we affectionately called the park. Okay. And back in the day, you'd just get on the phone and you start calling some guys and say, hey, we're going to meet at the park at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. You know, so, mm-hmm. so all summer long, as soon as school was out, we would meet at the park and we'd, we'd play for about four or five hours and then we'd go home, get something to eat. We'd come back, play for four or five hours sure. more. And, and the rule of thumb was, your butt better be on your front porch when the street lights came on. Yep. Because if mom or pop had to holler for you, then there was probably a broom or something else yep. coming along with it. Yep. And Hillsdale at that time was was a real safe community. Sure. And and we ran all over that neighborhood. And like I said, the college was a phenomenal resource for us as young kids because there was the arboretum that we could play hide and seek and just do stupid stuff in. Yep. Uh, the field house they had a. They had a hill on the backside that ran from the top 
of the field or the bottom of the field house to the base of the baseball field and they called it Victory Hill because the football guys would run that every fall. Sure. And that was a phenomenal sliding hill in the winter so we would go from school in you know first, second, third grade right over to the sledding hill sled for an hour and a half and we just had to beat the parents home at work. Yep. From work. Yep. So that, that was always a, a, a good time but it's funny because my first interaction with a future Beck probably occurred when I was in first or second grade when <laughs> Peter's future wife was our specials teacher. And okay. She would come in. Um, we called her Miss K because we couldn't pronounce Kaharvitz. <laughs> and uh, so she was our art teacher. So once a week she would pop in and do an art lesson. So uh-huh. it, it's just kind of funny how the, the families have been intertwined for sure. you know, 41 sure. years. Um, my... Uh, one of my siblings, one of my younger siblings, had uh, Linda as a teacher in, in first grade. Um, both of my youngest two kids had Linda as a first grade teacher, Josh and Kylie. Wow. Uh, you know, now she's 20 and mm-hmm. he's, uh, he's 16. So mm-hmm. we go back a long, long, long way. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and, and we moved to Hillsdale initially from, from a small community uh, in Calhoun County, Tecancha. Sure. Sure you're somewhat familiar with it. Sure. My mom went to school there. My dad went to school in Bronson. And okay. my dad took a job as a tool and die maker at Allied Products in Hillsdale. Oh, okay. And so when we moved there in 78, I couldn't believe the culture shock that yeah. I underwent. And it's, it's funny because people would say, what do you mean? When you go from 700 people to 8,000 people, mm-hmm. and, and that's an exponential jump mm-hmm. in, in what you're up to as a kid. For sure. And so there was a lot of paranoia. I remember the first Halloween that we lived in Hills that we could trick or treat in Hills because my mom didn't know anybody. So we had to go back to Takanja to trick or treat. So that's one of the earliest wow. memories. But but as as a young kid, like I said, we we would we were what you would call mischievous kids. We weren't bad kids, but we kind of found our way into mischief every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the neighbors weren't afraid to get on us and yell at us and, and shoo us away when we were doing things that we probably shouldn't do. But right. We were curious kids. At sure. least that's what we called it. We were just curious. Yeah. Was Chris Adams a good student? Uh, Chris Adams was a uh, good student when he needed to be. <laughs> and uh, he he knew what it took to... If it was something that I was interested in, and I think this really shaped me later yeah. as an educator. Yeah. If it was something that I found interesting... I was much more engaged and I tended to get better grades. Sure. If it, if it was something that I really didn't make a connection with yeah. and, and had to put more effort into it, uh-huh. I, I really didn't, I, I did not excel in those particular subjects. Got it. Uh, some of my favorites obviously were, were social studies, which I later taught in, mm-hmm. in science, uh, specifically life science, mm-hmm. which I really enjoyed just because you have examples of it everywhere. Right. So things that you interact with every day tend to be things that you, you hold an interest for. How many siblings do you have, Chris? I have a younger sister who's two years younger and a younger brother who's six years younger. Ah, okay. Uh, my sister and I both graduated from Hillsdale. My dad took a job in, in uh, Royal Oak Okay. with my brother. After, I think it was the middle of my brother's freshman year so he attended Hillsdale for about a semester all right and then he ended up at Madison Heights Lamphere where he uh, graduated from okay all right so Chris let's kind of get into this anybody you know knows you as we mentioned earlier uh, knows your love for the game of baseball um, how did this love of baseball get cultivated um, talk about your early years as a player 
you know, in and around Hillsdale, and what influences helped you develop this love for the game? It's kind of funny because when I was a really, was, we were still living in Tecancha, right. and my my dad's mom and his youngest brother, mm-hmm. who was only seven years older than me, so he was 12 and I was five, mm-hmm. and, and he was a player, mm-hmm. and so he would want to practice all the time. Okay. He thought he was going to be the next pitcher, mm-hmm. so... At five years old, we would prop up a, a piece of plywood behind me, and I would have to try to catch him with no mask and a 12-year-old throwing at a five-year-old. <laughs> so, so you learn real quick that if you get the glove on the ball, you don't take bruises to the chest or the knees. So I, I learned how to catch a baseball real early. I bet. And, and it, it was trial by fire. And every time... You know, we still kind of laugh about it when I see him. Um, his, his life hasn't turned out real well. Uh, but mm-hmm. we still kind of laugh about it because every time that stinking baseball hit the board, I'd run a lap around the house. Ah. So, you know, it's kind of one of those things where negative reinforcement, you, you learn how to get good at something real quick. Right. And then uh, I would say when we moved to Hillsdale, there, there was another kid who was I graduated with. He's my best friend, been my best friend since 1978. Uh-huh. That's rap, that's rap I was telling you about, he pulled me out of it. Okay. On the first day of school. All right. And, and we've been buddies ever since. Well, he was an athlete. And so we always pushed one another. And I can remember many days, many days, just the two of us throwing a baseball, you know, the old Wayne's World skit where they're playing sure. street hockey. Yep. Well, we, we, we just threw a waterlogged baseball back and forth as far as we could in the <laughs> middle of the street until there was a car. They'd be like, game off. Oh, uh, yeah. Walk to, the, walk to the easement. Okay, game on. Yep. You know, and at that age, you know, six, seven, eight, we were probably chasing the ball more than we were catching because we were just trying to throw it. Well, in our eyes, it was 200 feet when really it was probably about 70 right. feet we were throwing this. So I always had somebody in the neighborhood that, that pushed me athletically, and, and we fought like brothers. Mm-hmm. We Anytime there was a competitive situation, mm-hmm. uh, we'd meet at that park and play wiffle ball, and somebody sure. got to the point where they were getting... You know, getting their ass beat. Well, by God, there was a fight. Somebody mm-hmm. didn't get their So it, it, it was just a, it was great then. And, and today, you know, we probably have all those issues. We've got to have a sit down. We've got to have a mediation. But yeah. that's how it settled things back then. Sure. And, and I kind of go back, you know, it wasn't the 50s like the setting of the sandlot. But mm-hmm. if we could get eight or nine guys, then we would go up to Mock where they had a dirt playground. And we could actually play on the big field. Right. Right. The park, the park across the street was really, like I said, a vacant lot that was probably 60 by 90 mm-hmm. and 60 feet to left field. And then there was a hedgerow. Mm-hmm. Well, when we were kids, that hedgerow was probably about four feet tall. Yep. We were still playing wiffle ball when we were, you know, in high school. Yeah. And now we had we had our own green monster. Yeah. Because the, the, the hedge had grown to now where it was about 18 feet tall. So yeah. it was kind of cool to see that over the years also. Absolutely. So... Following graduation from high school, what path did you take, Chris? I went to Grand Rapids Community College right out of high school. I thought I was going to be a, a big baseball player. Okay. Uh, I had a couple offers. Um, all of them were community colleges because, like I said, I was probably a 2-8, in high school. Yep. Um, capable of doing more, but yep. on paper, that's what it looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, I was probably a 20-21 on the ACT at the time. Okay. And so I went to Grand Rapids on the recommendation of a, a local coach in the area who had some ties there, uh, Randy Spangler. Sure. Spangler had seen me play for a few years mm-hmm. in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, my high school coach.
coach, or at least I had a, I had a different coach all four years. But um, the coach I had my junior year played baseball at Eastern Michigan, so he knew, and he, he knew Spangler from reading. Mm-hmm. So he, he was also, Ray Beckman was also a, a good person that, that kind of pushed me to get out of the area. So as a catcher, they always you know keep you around until spring, the spring trip, and then they kind of give you the the news that well you know you're gonna have to wait till next year to play. Right. So you know I, at that point I was like you know this is two and a half hours away from home. Sure. I, I can find something closer. So I I transferred to Kellogg Community College and played for Russ Bortel. Yep. Yeah. Russ I found out later I didn't really know it at the time but Russ was a Jonesville High School grad. Huh. So he was a local kid. Um, didn't really realize it at the time, mm-hmm. and then uh, years later, you know, came to came to realize that Russ was a Jonesville grad because I had actually uh, kind of dealt with his parents on a car when I was working at Frank Beck Chevrolet. Yep. You know, between my first stint in college and my second stint in college. Sure. Um, and Russ was a big influence, as was Ray, and a lot of the other coaches, baseball wise, that I had. Um, you always pick up something from each guy mm-hmm. that, that that touches you know that touches your experiences and yep. uh, those guys were all crucial and I learned a lot from the guy in Grand Rapids Doug Wabeck who was a coach in uh, USA Baseball Russ has been in USA Baseball uh, Ray still gives back to the game to this day you know mm-hmm. he'll restring any glove for any kid and, mm-hmm. and does it free of charge and so you know there, there's just great guys that are that are baseball guys still in the area sure um, so then from there, um, you know, I was a poor college student. I played two years at Kellogg, and I had a couple opportunities to maybe go on and play someplace at a Division three school. Yeah. But, I, you know, I, I, I landed a summer job in the Battle Creek area, and make, I was making pretty decent money, and that just seemed much more appealing than going to class and sure. going through the grind. And so I went into the workforce for a couple of years, and I ended up moving back to Hillsdale. I uh, went to work in a factory. Um, and then, uh, believe it or not, Peter Beck calls me. He says, "What are you doing working in this factory?" He goes, "You, you need to get out of there." He goes, "Go talk to, the, go talk to this guy named Jim Yours at, at the dealership." Mm-hmm. And, oh, and I felt cars. He goes, "You're too good to be working in a factory. Get out while you can still get out." Yep. So I, I, I went to the dealership. I was in sales for three years. You know, selling cars as a, as a 23 year old was sure. kind of cool because you got to drive a new car. You know, quite yep. often, and you didn't have to worry about insurance and all that stuff. Yep. You learned a lot about how to communicate with people, mm-hmm. how to build a relationship with somebody very quickly, and also how to read nonverbal cues. That's right. And I think that experience has been one of the best that I can kind of fall back on yep. as an educator. Yeah. yeah. Because communication and building a relationship are two keys to being an effective educator, no matter what level you're teaching mm-hmm. or what type of students that you're teaching. Yeah. Those experiences became paramount later on, especially starting out at Star Commonwealth, where oh, yeah. kids don't care what you know until they know that you care. We've all heard that quote, but it's yep. so true. Yep. You know, and the one thing that I was exposed to there was, you know, build a relationship over authority. Yeah. There's so many positions that hold authority, and, and, and yep. kids don't respond to that. Yeah. They, they just, you know what? They get enough of that at home. Well, they don't anymore. That's part of the problem. Right. They get enough of that from society, or they did, and, and nobody would be willing to build a relationship with them and truly understand where they're coming from and, and yep. what they are about. Yep. So I, I look back on that experience, and, and from there I went into some, I went into industrial sales, and then uh, the, the recreation director position opened up in 
city of Hillsdale. Yep. Uh, you know, that would kind of get me back to some athletic roots. Well, the year before that position opened up, actually, when I was working at the factory, I'd applied for the JV baseball job. Okay. And I, w- I got the job. John Seconder uh, interviewed me and offered me the position. Yep. And then the uh, the varsity job opened up, and at the same time, I was taking I was going from a first shift training position to a third shift ter- permanent position. Okay. So that that would have really prohibited me from coaching, so I had to turn it down, and that was in 1995. Okay. And so about four years later, the varsity position opened up again, and. I want to say this was your last, Peter's last year as principal. Mm-hmm. And the two finalists for the the job were myself and Scott Chase. Yep. And Scott had been coaching down to Hudson, and the previous year I'd coached Coach Judge. That was that was the extent of my coaching experience. Yep. And so we walk in, and, and we both interview. And um, at the end of the day, the athletic director at the time was Scott Riley, who's now the superintendent down at Canada Frontier. Yep. And, God offered me the position. Well, it was a caveat. He said, if, uh, it, it, if I don't offer you the varsity position, would you be willing to coach JV baseball? And I said, yeah, I, you know, that's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I want to coach, period. Sure. I, I just want to coach. And I think Scott's answer was that, uh, nah, I'm really only interested in the varsity job because I could be a varsity coach down here at Hudson. Mm-hmm. So I, I was offered the job and Scott became the varsity baseball coach in Hudson. Yeah. So we competed against each other for a couple of years, and and then uh, Scott came over to Hillsdale in 2004. Um, in 2002, after a couple of years of struggling, we took a team that was the year before I got there. They had won three games. Yep. My first year we won seven. My second year we won nine. My third year we're it was 2002, and we were playing in districts over to Addison. Yep. And we were playing Napoleon in the final. And uh, funny how this works out because over the next couple of years, I've, we we had pretty good success against Napoleon in the postseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're, it's a tie game, and uh, Johnny Smith hits a grand slam in the top of the seventh to put us up seven to three, and we end up winning the game seven to three. Mm-hmm. So it was the first district championship since 1994. Mm-hmm. Everybody was on about nine. The next year we get bumped up to Division Two. We don't do much. Well, then mm-hmm. 2004 rolls around. We're Hanover. We're playing Napoleon in the final, and we went again. And that was the first year that Scott had come over. Right. And then the following year, Nick Lopresto came into the program, uh, and Nick was also a former yep. Hillsdale Hornet. Sure. So we had three guys, three guys that were baseball alumni, uh, running the program. Right. And, and the biggest thing that I realized from the time that I started until 2005 was. I tried to do everything myself because we couldn't get any interest. Well, then you've got to get other people involved if you want to run a, a quality program. You bet. And you've got to get that feedback and that input. And, and so in the, within that process, as I started figuring those things out, I also went back to school to finish up my teaching certification. Okay. And so I, I, I went, uh, went back, um, got the teaching certification. Yep. Um, then landed the job at Star Commonwealth, and you know, kind of the the progression just took off from there. Um, I, I think where we really turned the corner was probably old five, old six. Okay. I had two, two of the best teams that I've ever had. These were kids that were just baseball kids, and we had we had 
we had a freshman team when they were freshmen. Yep. And they would have graduated in 06. Mm-hmm. So we had 12, we had 18 kids in one class that played baseball. Okay. And we've never had a freshman program in Hillsdale. So we created a freshman program for one year just so all these kids could play. Mm-hmm. So, so in 06, I think we've got the best chance. We go, we play some teams from around the state. We played East Grand Rapids. We played Catholic, Grand Rapids Catholic Central and Sparta all on the same day. Wow. And, uh, yeah, we're a small Division three school, and these guys are one of two schools that are highly ranked in the state. And, and we went there and we competed. We actually beat Sparta, which was uh, kind of the coup de grace. If you're playing good baseball on Saturday, it's awesome. If you're not, it's yeah. a long, long day. Sure. Well, we ended up getting beat by Jonesville in the district semifinal at Napoleon in 06. Okay. And I'm thinking, well, that was the best team that I ever had. So we, we go back to the drawing board in 07, and we've got uh, – Minimal pitching. We, we really don't know what we've got. we got a couple sophomores up. Mm-hmm. I think we had three sophomores up. We've got some juniors that were okay mm-hmm. the previous year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we got a smackling of seniors that, uh, okay. Well, yeah. then we get a transfer. We get a transfer from Penfield, mm-hmm. whose dad lives in Hillsdale. Mom lived in Battle Creek, and he was coming to live with his dad. And so we sized this kid up. And, you know, Hillsdale has a... A great run in the fall. They make it to the state semifinals in football with a lot of the same kids that were my baseball kids. Yep. Like we shared a lot of the same athletes, actually, yep. between Lemron and Felix and myself and Kirby with the wrestling. We didn't have a lot of wrestlers that played baseball, but we shared a lot of the same athletes amongst the three sports. Sure. So we were along to springtime, and I remember talking to, to Mike Blanchard, who was yep. a good player as a junior. Uh, he was kind of our senior captain kind of a quiet, unassuming guy at the time. And I remember telling him at the beginning of the season that, hey, you know, don't be surprised if we're not very good. I mean, actually, don't be surprised if we suck. <laughs> and so we, we, we go through the regular season, and we play some tough non-conference competition. And I got two seniors that are kind of my, my league pitchers. We finished third in the league. And I've got the sophomore and the senior transfer who are the guys that are going against the Harper Creeks, the Lumen Christies, the Marshalls, right. all these other schools that are a little bit bigger, better programs. And, uh, you know, we're competing and we're losing some of those games, but right. they're two to one, four to three, four to two, those type of things. Sure. So we roll around to the districts and we're hosting that year. And so we play, uh, we play Albion on Tuesday. Yep. And we beat them 10 down. Sure. And then we play uh, Hanover Horton in the first game on Saturday, and we beat him 10 nothing. And then we play Jonesville in the final, and we beat him 17 to nothing. Wow. So our, our kids are rolling. I'm thinking, well, maybe all that competition had paid off. Yep. And, and so we get into, so now, you know, we're going to the regional. It's, it's at Onstead. And I don't think Gillsdale has ever won a regional game. And we're playing uh, Sands. Uh, who did we play first? We played Napoleon, believe it or not. And, okay. and we're up 9-8 or 9-4 going into the bottom of the seventh. They score four runs in the bottom of the seventh to make it 9-8, but we hold on and we win. And then we beat uh, Creek for the... So then we moved on to the quarterfinal. And right. about that time, we had a local newspaper that was kind of catching wind of what was going on. Right. He said, well, what are you going to do? You guys got to play the list. I said, well, we're 
yep. suit up and go play baseball. Yep. We, we can't be afraid to compete with anybody. Yep. And so at that point, we kind of coined, we coined a couple a couple different mindsets. One was, you know, respect all, fear none, as far as your opponents. Mm-hmm. And the, the real coup de grace came after that interview. And we as coaches were kind of sitting around. And I think I mentioned in that interview, I said, you know, we got a couple uh, we got a couple things that we got to accomplish. And so we go down to the quarterfinal in Celine, and we uh, we do to Blissfield what Blissfield does to everybody else, mm-hmm. which we bond them to death. Mm-hmm. We uh, small ball. We win, we, yep, we win six to one, and we have six sacrifice bunts. They have zero <laughs> because our our sophomore pitcher who threw 110 pitches that day did not allow a leadoff hitter to reach base until the seventh inning. Wow. So phenomenal gutty pitching performance. Guy comes back out to interview me. He says, "You're going to the, you're going to states. What are you going to do?" I said, "Well, you know, somebody's got to win the game, so why not us?" That's right. Why not us? <laughs> why not us? And so we got to thinking about that as coaches, and the coach was like, "That's awesome." Mm-hmm. Our kids were always bugging us. Okay, so our kids were always bugging us about wearing shirts at practice, and they wanted to wear shorts, and we're like, "No." Not taking your shirts off. This is educational athletics. Leave shirts on. Yeah. Don't take shirts off in the classroom. Right. So, so we were pretty firm with that. So, what I had done is I had had some T-shirts made up that sure. just said "Hillsdale Baseball 2007" on the front. Yep. And, and on the back, they said "Why not us?" That's awesome. With a big question mark. Yeah. So we're talking as a coaching staff, and I said, "You know, here's what we're going to do." So I go and get them on on uh, Thursday. Right. We got practice Thursday afternoon, and. Uh, Coach, coach is like this. This practice is just terrible. So I, I kind of have him. I have a Pete Beck freakout moment. <laughs> and you've heard him in the gym. And mm-hmm. Peter was kind of privy to what was going on, and he was giving us some advice along the way. And so I have a freakout in the middle of practice, and says that I'm leaving. I'm done. Well, at our baseball field, we have a double gate that's on the street side of our field. Got it. So one of the assistant coaches goes over and unlocks the gate and opens it up. Uh-huh. Well, meanwhile, I went to my truck in the parking lot and I drove it around the block. Yep. And I'm kind of waiting for this to happen. I, and I wait and I wait. Coach, Coach LaPresto and Coach Chase lets the kids take all their t-shirts off. Uh-huh. So, next thing you know, when, oh. they, when they do that, I come flying down the hill, pull right out into the middle of the infield, jump out of the truck <laughs> and start going nuts on them and say, what in the world are you guys doing? Get your shirts back on. They're like, but, but, I go, no, I don't care what coach said. I don't care what coach said. That's awesome. Like, but, 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 but. And I go, put your shirts back on. So they start putting their t-shirts back on. You say, no research. I reach into the truck. <laughs> I reach into the truck and I start whipping, start whipping these wine out of shirts out of That's them. awesome. They went crazy. They went absolutely crazy. So the next day at the state semifinal, we're playing in Seattle Brown State. Yep. And the kids come to us before, before we're done with BP and they're like, hey, uh, can we just wear the Why Not Us shirts to warm up in mm-hmm. without our jerseys on? And I'm like, hey, you know what? If you guys want to do that, do it. I mm-hmm. love it. Mm-hmm. Love it. So they're out there and they're doing it. And now everybody in our crowd's like, hey, where can I get one of those T-shirts? Oh, that's nice. So Scott Lannis, who was my sophomore pitcher, yep. his grandpa owns Sports Aram over in Sturgis. Yep. I said, I, said, I don't know. I, I don't have time to deal with it, but you can talk to that guy. He sold 100 T-shirts that game. Wow. So we, we we show up we we beat Kalamazoo Christian pretty handily ten to four in the semifinal. Yep. We show up the next day and there's there's a hundred 
amazing. So you so, won you won the state in two thousand seven. Yep, yep, and that was one of that was one of the key, I guess, psychological edges was you know the kids just start believing in themselves. Sure. I think anytime that you put something together mm-hmm. uh, that's special, mm-hmm. there, there's always just little stories that never get told, and, and that story is a good one to tell. I love um, it. Love there's it. a lot more, but that that was one of the primary ones, and we would have coaches meetings after every step of the way at uh, at Peter's house, and he would impart his wisdom usually over uh, an adult <laughs> beverage or, or twelve. Um, so, so those are those are just memories that you just never forget. Absolutely, winning a, winning a state title is awesome. I mean, the kids all have their ring. Yep. Uh, but just the the memories and the stories of everything that went on during exactly. you know that that glorious two weeks was. Was something to, to behold. How many years did you coach thereafter, Chris? Uh, I hung it up in 2011 okay. uh, because I was commuting back and forth to Wayne Westland. Right. And uh, Scott Chase took over, and they actually in 2012 made it to the quarterfinals and lost to Bishop Foley one nothing, mm-hmm. and Foley went on to win the state championship that year. So we, uh, as a collective between Scott, Nick, and I. I think we had five league championships, six district titles in the 12 years that I coached there. Well, I'll and tell you, yeah. It really kind of turned things around for us. Look at the, I mean, what Scott's doing now, um, uh, I mean, the three of you as a high school staff, that's pretty impressive. Well, and we also had some other guys that helped out, too. I mean, we had a guy, Gary Ketro, who was probably in his early 60s, mm-hmm. that was helping out, played, played at Albion College mm-hmm. back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Wisely, who uh, was a Brighton guy, but worked at Hillsdale College. He played from the Tiger organization, mm-hmm. uh, and then you got Scott and Nick. Sure. And, and then you know we had we had some fathers of kids that would come down and just hit fungos. I mean, that's, Craig Blanchard came down and hit countless fungos during practice. That's, uh, and Lance Benz is another guy. His, his kid had graduated. He's like, hey, what can I do to help out? You know, so absolutely he got people involved, and that was huge for the advancement of the program. Chris, uh, you know, besides baseball. A lot of people, of course, know you through your officiating. Let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, and even got to know my father a little bit through through officiating oh, yeah. as an MIAA official, uh, football official. Talk a little bit about how you got involved in that. Uh, if you could, just a bit about college and high school officiating and what sports do you do, currently do, or have done? Uh, what opportunities has that presented to you? What kind of events have you been able to access by becoming an official? Um, and how has you know been kind of tied to your role as an educator as well? Well, uh, I started officiating when I was in college. Mm-hmm. My roommate had done football the previous year. He was, hey, we need a guy for our crew. Do you want to do it? I'm like, sure, why not? I played, you know, so... Here I am as, as a 19, 20-year-old kid yep. working varsity football with guys that are, you know, a year or two younger. And we were working the west side, so we were working, you know, some Battle Creek area schools. And we went, I remember going down to Benton Harbor, Portage Central, Battle Creek Central. So that was quite an eye-opener for me as a 19-year-old kid. Sure. And then I took a couple years off, and then I got back into it when uh, I was in industrial sales, and I saw one of my former youth baseball coaches. He's like, yeah, hey. You know, we do this, this, and he was a long-time official, and his son graduated a year ahead of me. So we got to talk. He's like, well, we're looking kind of for a sub. I'm like, well, I'd be interested in that. Mm-hmm. Well, sub turned into full-time. Mm-hmm. So so I, I did that for probably about four years, and then uh, he also got a new superintendent in 2001, Rich Ames. Yep. And when Rich came in, one of the things that I had heard about him is that he was a Division One football official. Yep. So... 
you know, we sat down and talked a couple times, and he uh, he encouraged me to do some things that I never would have known about, you know, sure. living in the, the area. Uh, so I went to a couple clinics, and Joe Cooper, who yep. was a long time Great area guy. official baseball guy. Guru. Joe, he is the guru. Yep. He is the OG of officials, for sure. Like, about 105. Yeah. Uh, he's still around. Yep. <laughs> oh, he had a few comments from myself as an official back in the day as well. Good, more than bad, but yeah, yeah. So Joe knew me from running some baseball tournaments during my time as the rec director. So Joe at the time was supervisor of officials in the MIAA, and Joe brought me on staff in 2003 as a full-time member of the officiating staff. Mm-hmm. And so I... From 2003 to 2000, actually the next year, our crew kind of disbanded, and from that point, I became kind of an MIAA nomad. Mm-hmm. And I landed from crew to crew and, and worked with a lot of different guys. Um, one of the guys that I happened to work quite a bit with was Mark Ewell, who mm-hmm. came in to the yep. MIAA in 2005. Yep. And so I was a deep guy, Mark was a deep guy, then Mark went to referee and got his own crew. Well, that was a crew that I worked with quite a bit. Well, then in 2007... Um, I was selected to work the high school football finals. And at about the same time, actually, I think we were, we're notified in early October. Mm-hmm. About a month later, mm-hmm. I get a phone call from Bob Robotham, who was the new director of officials in the MAA. He says, hey, how would you like to work the NCAA playoffs? Wow. And you can, you can see there's a dilemma because, obviously, I'd love to go work a, a state final at Ford Field. Yeah. But I'd also go like to go work the NCAA playoffs. Sure. So we end up going to, uh, I, I made the decision that I was going to give back my state final. Yep. And work the NCAA playoffs. Mm-hmm. And so our first game is at Franklin College against North Central. And it ends up being a 43-41 game. And North Central wins on the last play of the game. Wow. And wow. it's, it's, it's a goal line call. Thank God it was on the other side of the field. Oh. <laughs> because it was one that we call a whacker. Yep. Yeah. That official, uh, Chad Beauchamp, handled it very, very well. Mm-hmm. So the next week, we get to go to legendary Mount Union to cool. work a second week. Yeah. And in Mount Union, the side of the field that I was on is normally the visiting side. Well, Mount Union is the home side of the field. Right. So now I'm dealing with legendary coach Larry Garrison. Yep. There was probably two or three different times where Larry would come down, and he'd have a question, and he'd say, would you bet your game check on that? <laughs> I said, Larry, I would. He goes, all right, just check it. And yeah. then he would just go. Is this at the old fairgrounds? Yep, the old yep, the old stadium fairgrounds with the covered stands on the yes. other side. Yes. So... That was the first opportunity I had, and then uh, again in 2012 and 2014, I had opportunities to work the NCAA playoffs. Um, went to uh, went back to Mount Union one of the years in 2012, yep. and then in 2014 we went to uh, Wabash. Nice. Which coincidentally was playing Franklin, so that was kind of interesting. Yeah. And then in 2008, I was able to work the state final um, at Ford Field as a referee. And then in 2016, I had a, a second opportunity to work uh, at Ford Field. Sure. Uh, which was which was really cool because in 2008, my, my son really wasn't old enough to do a whole lot. Whereas in 2016, 
sideline pass where he could go anywhere. Mm-hmm. He ends up getting a selfie with Darius Flakes nice. the day after Thanksgiving. And yep. There was a shot of, of him and me, and, you know, on the sideline where he's in the background. So it was just kind of some cool things. And, and doing uh, doing high school and college football has afforded the family a lot of opportunities that we might not have otherwise had. Yeah. Um, we've met a lot of great people. Yep. And you know, those are things, those relationships and friendships, and those are things that carry through to this day. But just some of the things that we've had a chance to do. Sure. Uh, people that my sons had a chance to meet and interact with ask questions of yeah you know, those things are, have all been you know we're very thankful for those opportunities there's still a shortage of officials correct and now it's, it's a great way for student athletes to give back to the game they love well right now uh we're making a push in our area uh, my son and another uh so josh my son and his buddy alex darnell we work a lot of youth basketball tournaments in the winter now i'm pretty old to be working youth basketball tournaments but it's a great way to protect those guys sure. from crazy parents that just don't get it yep. and don't understand uh, what youth athletics are all about. Got it. And those are the people that are ruining yeah. the officiating community because yeah. young people don't want to go out there and take that kind of abuse and, yeah. and the verbal lashings. And You know, my thing is this. Yeah, you pay five bucks to get into an event, but five bucks does not give you the right to verbally assault another human no. being. no. And at the end of the day, I realize that you're, you might be yelling at the uniform, but there's somebody wearing that. Absolutely. And, and that person doesn't just show up and work the game. Yep. That person prepares, yep. they train, they study, they go to meetings, they spend time away from their family, yep. all to work your kids' games, and you don't have the common decency to be civil to them. Right. That, that's just something that really, really irritates me as an official, and quite frankly, as an administrator. Sure. Because there's many times that we have to get involved as administration to deal with issues of yeah. idiot fans that yep. just don't get it. Yep. And yep. I really don't think there's a better way to put it. Yep. They're just, you know, little Johnny's not going to the NBA. Little okay. Johnny's not going to play NFL football. Yep. You know, he, it's just not going to happen. Yep. You know, the odds are against it. Little Johnny has a better opportunity becoming an official than a player. Disillusioned and with what's going on. Those, yeah. Yeah. And those are, those are things. So we're trying to recruit a lot of our athletes to fill the gap because it's not just a Michigan issue. Oh, yeah. It's a nationwide issue. For sure. Where there's a shortage of officials. And, and until until the fans get a grip on their behavior, we're, it, we're facing an uphill battle recruiting new people to the, to the application. Absolutely. Chris, last question I got for you individually is just simply this. You know, of course, you teacher for a number of years, now as an administrator... Talk a little bit about, and we alluded to it earlier, about your leadership style, but mainly about how your time working in an alternative ed setting, you talked about building relationships, um, keeping your cool in the athletic field and, and officiating. How does that all tie together in, in, in making your day successful and guiding especially middle school students through their you know, day from, from 8 to 2.30 or 7.30 to 2.30, whatever it happens to be, how has that all helped you, especially the relationships part is what I'm looking at there? Well, I think the biggest thing for me is I approach every day as a new day. Mm-hmm. So I don't care what the particular student said to me the day before. Right. Every right. day has to start fresh. For sure. Because if I carry that grudge with that student, then I'm not, I'm stunting the ability to develop a relationship. Yeah. Whereas if that student knows that they have a fresh start every day, mm-hmm. 
to win. Sometimes you just got to get your message across. Yep. You, you don't always have to be the winner. But ultimately, you want to win the war, not that particular battle. Agreed. And by winning the war, you're developing a relationship with that student that you can actually take withdrawals later. Yeah. But I think many people try to take a withdrawal from a relationship that doesn't have enough deposits built up yet. Yep. And Couldn't agree more. I, I, I think that officiating kind of helps you uh, diffuse situations because you have to think very quickly. And sometimes silence is your, your most effective tool and your most effective weapon. Mm-hmm. Just listening, mm-hmm. empathy. Um, you know, being an alternative, you've got kids that have a difficult time turning that switch off. They get very excitable. Yep. And sometimes, you know, I, I'll tell a kid, hey, if my office door is closed, you can say whatever you want to mm-hmm. about me, to mm-hmm. me, right here to my face. Mm-hmm. But if you say that in the hallway, mm-hmm. there's going to be a different consequence. Yep. yep. So I... I, I'm giving them some parameters of where and when, yep. how, yep. and what. Yep. So, you know, over a period of time, if you do that and you're consistent with it, that that really has helped me as an administrator, both in the alternative realm and middle school. Well, and you, you, you nail it on the head with consistency, you get the trust as well. Yep. So, and that, especially with alternative ed kid, that, that's paramount that you actually have that. So, um. Okay, this is kind of for both of you, kind of wrapping up the interview here, and I'll make these quick and to the point. Is it possible to go on speakerphone real quick? You're on speakerphone. All right, very good. So first question, you both have had the opportunity to be involved in with coaching your younger siblings with Pete's case. I think your son as well, Chris, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, all three of them. Okay, can you give me any story that stands out that either one of you have whether it be pulling your kid off the mound or, um, you know, uh, a certain match, wrestling match coming up. Is there any one story that you guys can share uh, or both of you individually can share about coaching your kids? Uh, Well, um, I I can tell you, coaching Robert, who was the oldest of the three younger brothers, he was – he was a highly skilled, real tough kid, and uh, in fact, uh, he was same grade as Scott Mary, who's a legend over there in Hudson. Yep. And uh, every year, Scooter would come up to me and say, because we knew him really well. Yep. He'd say, Coach, he goes, I'm going to beat your brother this year. And I said, Scooter, don't get your expectations high. It won't happen. And year, Robert would just crush him. But Robert always had a stubborn streak and it always showed in the state finals and uh, the sophomore year he got beat by just a better guy mm-hmm. who was just a big kid who was really good and uh, he just got beat by a better guy but his sophomore or his junior and senior year it was just stubbornness his junior year he's wrestling Gary Nanyan from Jackson oh. Northwest finals yep. he had beat he had beaten Gary five times that year. And I told him before the match, I said, Robert, I said, Daniel's getting really good on top of the legs. I said, he's going to try and just ride the heck out of you and wear you down and keep it close and maybe win at the end. That's what he's going to try. He says, he can't turn me. Mm-hmm. I said, I didn't say he could turn you. I said, he's just going to try and wear you down. So don't stay down below on him. Mm-hmm. Get out. 
mm-hmm. wrestle at your feet. And he said, he can't turn me. So I think the first period, uh, Robert takes him down, rides him out. Second period, Nanny gets on top, and Robert just locks in on all fours. Mm-hmm. Like begging him, go ahead and try and turn me. Well, he's not doing anything, he's just, just sitting there. And I, I'm going like, hey, you got to move. Next thing you know, he gets a stalling call. Next thing you know, he gets another stalling call. I said, you can't do that. I said, mm-hmm. they're going to dig, keep digging you. Mm-hmm. He said, he won't hurt me. So then, he, you know, the uh, third period, Robert's on bottom, and he gets another stalling call. Well, it's four to two now, and or maybe four to three. Right. And... And he's still on top, thrashing away, not really trying to turn him because he won't be able to, but keeping the refs off his butt yep. and yep. not drop. Yep. Next, you know, boom, another stalling call, two points, he loses 5-4. And he comes off the mat, and I said, what were you thinking? He goes, I told you he couldn't turn me. He <laughs> oh. gave him four minutes to try and could have beaten him, but, you know, he just was stubborn. He goes, he didn't care. So... <laughs> so, uh, it was just crazy and Andy gets all fired up and he could have cared less you know wasn't a state champ he didn't care yeah in his, in his senior year he's wrestling Paul Coates yep. who was a good kid out uh, of East Rapids so I remember him oh yeah he was tougher than heck and he beat him three times that year but every time it was a little bit closer wow I said we gotta wrestle him from the mat more because we gotta wear him down he's getting really good on his feet so keep him on the mat as long as you can yeah so they're wrestling. It's four to four. He's on top. Yeah. And with like 15 seconds to go in the match, he cuts him loose. So Coach is up by four now. And so Coach runs for the last 15 seconds and wins the match by four. I said, what were you thinking? Why didn't you let him go? Why didn't you keep him? I go, I didn't want to go overtime. <laughs> the stubborn so streak came out. down the last 10 seconds. Or, or lose the match, he didn't care. Yeah, yeah. What, boy, what two great wrestlers, high school wrestlers, Coates and, and uh, Nanya. Nanya, of course, gone way too soon, but uh, yeah, right. great, yep. great wrestlers. Yes, they were. They are both good people. And then Robert goes out to Eastern his freshman year. Yep. And wins the match as a freshman, goes out to Nationals. You know, he just didn't care. Yeah. He took second three times in a row. Yeah. So we, we always called him Buffalo Bob Beck because that was when the Bills were – going to the Super Bowl every year losing. Yep. Oh, yeah, for sure. So we compared them to the Bills. Let's talk about recruiting just for a moment. What advice, well, Chris, actually, Chris, I apologize. Let's go back to you. Do you have any favorite stories from you and your son that you can share or anything that stands out or any memories as far as family members? I would say, you know, coaching, my oldest son was part of that state championship team. Yep. And I say part of it because he played in the district final, and yep. that was the only game in the postseason that he ever played in. Okay. And he was a pitcher. Mm-hmm. But, but he was a prime example of why that team was successful. Mm-hmm. Because in practice, he knew what his role was. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we had to do in the postseason was, because you never know what kind of pitching you're going to see, is you have to speed bats up. Right. So we, we had our guys that were not going to be pitching throwing as hard as they could from 30 feet during BP, and, and mm-hmm. that was his role. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they just knew they were kind of along for the ride, but they knew that they
job preparing the starting nine to compete against anybody in the state. Right. So I, I, I'm very proud of how he handled that situation. Sure. Uh, you know, and when you're the coach's kid and you're not a stud, you have to earn every opportunity you get. Otherwise, people start second-guessing, and then they say, well, he's only playing because he's the coach's kid. And so when we got to that situation for him as a junior, that, that was that was a tough spot for him. And, you know, we handled it the best we could. And then as a senior, he uh, he got some spot pitching time and, and did very well on his own accord and was able to earn some more innings based on his performance. Mm-hmm. I think that that state championship run and just preparing the other guys in practice prepared him mentally to to accept any role that was thrown his way and they he would do whatever it took to get on the field and he, sure. and he did that as a senior so sure i, I think that, that's probably one of the more positive stories i have sure uh, i've got some other colorful ones that may not be appropriate <laughs> for the podcast so we'll, we'll leave it at that one i got other questions of course i want to ask but i'm going to be respectful of your time it, it sounds, of course, you two now have grown from kind of mentor, a student, but also as longtime friends now. Uh, let's talk about some things you admire in each other as, as educators, fathers, or as a coach to kind of wrap this up. Uh, who's the calmer coach in the heat of the game? Between the two of us? Who's the calmer one? Yes, between the two of you. Oh, I'd be Chris. I used to choke the life out of those guys. <laughs> Uh, Coach Adams, anything you want to add to that? I, I guess there's just a lot more downtime in baseball, but there there were some pretty intense moments when things get ratcheted up. That yep. I, you know, I yep. would channel my, my inner uh, yep. inner peace, I guess. And uh, you know, sometimes you do things because uh, kids need to get fired up. And sure. Kids today sometimes just don't. Baseball is not a real physical sport, so sometimes you got to attack things a little bit more cerebral and mm-hmm. find those those things that. Uh, you got to find the button that motivates kids. Sometimes that's just through a few choice words or, yep. or a tone. Chris, let's start with you yeah, on this. I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll go give you, ahead, Pete. Go ahead. I'll give you an example of Chris and his demeanor. We're in the state finals, and second baseman Barabee is, you know, completely, completely blotched mm-hmm. two plays. One was a routine pop-up. The other was a ground ball or he something. Fly. He dropped two. Yeah, dropped two of them. And, and everybody out there is thinking, he's choking, get him out of there. He can't handle the pressure. Get him off the field. Right. Oh, no, not Chris. He goes out there, calls timeout, goes out there, slaps in the butt, says, don't worry about Barabee. You'll have your chance to be a hero. Mm-hmm. Completely changed the kid's head. He forgot about dropping the ball. Next thing you know, he gets to hit the wins in the game. Nice. Oh, yeah. Most coaches would have pulled him out. Nice. Most fans would have expected him to be pulled out. Mm-hmm. Nope. He, he, he believed in him, had him on the butt, and said, don't worry about it. It was a great call. Who, what are some things, Chris, that you've learned from Pete, whether it be as a father, as a leader, as, a, as an educator, that, that maybe Pete doesn't know? I don't know. We come down here for vacation. Yep. And part of that is uh, so I can pick his brain. So yep. We've had a lot of late evening conversations that uh, focus on all of the above, mm-hmm. being a, a good educator, being a good coach, mm-hmm. and being a good father. Mm-hmm. I, I would, from a very young age, um, Peter always carried himself with uh, with, an, with an air of integrity. 
integrity that just is unmatched. Yep. And I think when you talk to people around the state, especially in wrestling circles or administrative circles, um, I have yet to come across somebody who has a, a foul word to say about Peter Beck. Mm-hmm. And if I can retire from the profession that I chose mm-hmm. and people feel the same way about me mm-hmm. that people I encounter feel about Peter, mm-hmm. then I've had a career. And I think that's you know just the network that you build over time and the, the exposure to different people. I don't know as though he knows the level of respect that, that he gets from those in the profession or retired from the profession. Right. I think that's a great way to end it. Um, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. I mean, just the, the setup here to have the three of us talking and you guys bouncing ideas off from each other and you knowing each other pretty much inside and out and your stories. Um, you didn't let me down. I don't think you'll let the audience down. Um, appreciate so much the opportunity. Enjoy the rest of your time down there, Chris, and uh, hope to connect soon. And uh, maybe we can meet at a local establishment and chit-chat soon. That'd be great. Sounds awesome. I'm awesome. I'll, I'll tell the Albion boys down here you said hello. I would appreciate that. Um, thank you so much for the opportunity. I got to tell you guys, you know, growing up, you know, a lot of us Albion boys made, you know, we, we come down in the van load down there. We'd go to the rink and oh, er- yeah. Ernie would give us a hard time. And, of course, Scott was there working the door and, and Sammy's Pizza afterwards. So we have that kind of Albion-Hillsdale connection anyways. And I think both of you, and I've shared that with Chris and Pete, you kind of inherently knew that over the years that we would come down there. But, uh, you know, great memories down there. It's a great little town. Yep, yep. We had a lot of good times. Good memories. Thank you both. Appreciate it. And and we'll talk soon, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Bye-bye.